when you turn to Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Um, a few things uh, to think about within this. You know, a lot of people are uh, quick to talk about how God is like restoring creation to its former beauty and all. And uh, certainly there's some, you know, wondrous things to consider in this, but this is new creation and it's better, it's superior to old creation. I would say it's probably, and I want to, you know, embolden that, italicize and underline, probably. Uh, better than the original uh, creation. Uh, you know, consider Jesus comes, first miracle, changes water to wine. The spiritual message is that he brings what is better at the end. And normally, you know, the idea of that what is put out first, we say that, we don't think about how much it's ingrained, right? We say things like they don't make them like they used to. You know, we think about like it's always it was always better back there. Um, you know, here the Lord is uh, you know making a new creation. One of the things to consider is uh, this has to be a different atmosphere and a different earth, um, much superior. You're going to get to the description of heaven itself and uh, the furlongs that are measured. There are that city's fifteen hundred miles square, cubed. So setting on the earth fifteen fifteen hundred miles straight up. Um, that's a really big atmosphere uh, to be inside, or I don't know how the atmosphere will work there. I'm just saying, you know, the earth is only nine. That was it, roughly nine thousand miles through. So you know, uh, you've got a, a really big creation uh, ahead. Of us, no seas. Um, people, you know, act like, oh, well, that's terrible. You know, seas are so awesome, and we're so fascinated with the oceans. And well, here's a thought: uh, the seas may be actually massive scars upon the earth because the fountains of the deep were inside the earth, and they burst open, right? So the incredible heights of mountains and the severe depths of the ocean, which are far greater than the heights. Everest could fit inside the Mariana Trench and have, you know, a massive amount of water over the top of it. Uh, so, so if it was all at a different level and collapsed into what was the underground water system structure, because previously there was a, a different hydrological system in place. We read in Genesis that a mist went up from the ground and irrigated uh, all of the vegetation prior to the flood. So stuff changed dramatically. And, and what's ahead of us? I, I, I mean, I can do a little bit of speculation. I, I like to imagine. I like to, uh, you know, let the Holy Spirit show us different things and expand uh, our hopefulness and what we're seeing. But in the end, it's going to be a wait and see thing. We, we get this description 
uh, I guess really what I'm trying to say is don't try to imagine too much based upon what you've already experienced. I think that that is going to so completely eclipse what's here and then carry it even further in the idea that so many people are so hung up on this earth that to try and imagine something else to them is sacrilegious. You know, that their job is to preserve Mother Earth and keep her and protect her and, you know, wrecked, ruined. You know, it's just this, this planet had its, you know, totaling collision long ago. And as beautiful it is, this is destroyed. We're looking for the new. We're looking for this creation that is to come. Um, then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So we've talked about this a little bit in the idea of, yes, the city here is described as the bride, but it's really the occupants that God is concerned with. It's the occupants of this city that the scripture all along the way has been referring to as the bride, right? We're even going to hear at the end of this thing that the bride and the spirit are calling to anyone that would listen to come and experience this. I, I, I you know, find that much more a personage, not a city, you know, I suppose metaphorically it could be beckoning you know, to humanity, uh, but the idea of how we communicate with the world. Proof text, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Paul says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ, the bride. Uh, we, the church, uh, being prepared by uh, the word, by our teachers, by the Holy Spirit for the day where the groom will come and retrieve us and take us unto himself. Uh, verse 3, I think, is very significant, uh, you know, specifically because I heard a loud voice uh, from heaven saying, you know, whenever the scripture gives you that type of exclamation, you want to pay attention. You know, Jesus saying, verily, verily, <laughs> intensely, intently pay attention to these things. We, we get some of that in the scripture, uh, a very um, uh, strong insistence. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with Men. Now, we should automatically think of Paul telling us that we are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. But this is that shift we've all been longing for, where the actual house of worship, his throne, in fact, is now physically with humanity. You know, in the presence of God, materially, is uh, what's being said here, you know, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be 
his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. There's a lot to just be in wonder about there, to uh, have your heart thrilled with the idea of, you know, no more of this, you know, veiled as through a mirror dimly, you know, as 1 Corinthians says, then face to face. That, that will be a glorious day to step into his presence and be able to literally say, and that right there is the Lamb of God. Uh, you know, this is our God. This is our creator. It says in verse four, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So consider that during the millennial reign, there is death, right? That, that uh, I believe Isaiah was the one that told us that he who lives to be a hundred years old will be thought to have died in his youth. Um, I suppose that could be illustrative, but it seems to be lit, written out literally in, in that regard. Now we've crested past that millennium and we've entered eternity and now no more death, no more pain. I got to tell you, that's a joyous thought. You know, I just did a whole bunch of yard work, taking care of a number of things. And I had cut down some trees and just piled four foot lengths and you know like over a year ago and you know finally got around to finishing all that up and I, at the end my back was just screaming and uh, this literally i've been reading and reviewing and this literally came to mind uh, there is a day ahead where there is no pain i probably have to go through a great deal between here and the finish line but I'm stretching for the finish line because there's no pain on the other side of that. That's, that's a wonderful thought. No sorrow, no grief, no betrayal, no loss, no sorrow there, no crying, right? So even in the millennium, there may be certain degrees of sorrow. You know, the tears are present because they have to be wiped away. But now, just a few words later, and there's no more tears, no, no more crying in the process of this situation. What a, what a wonderful state of existence that will be. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And all in the Greek means all. Everything made new. That's just a beautiful thought. You know, that the law of entropy, seemingly, right? All things are breaking down. All things are deteriorating. All things are diminishing. And, and now the idea of, you know, everything's going to have that new scent all the time. <laughs> it's not going to be like you buy it in, in a week's time. You're like, oh, look. It's already got wear marks, you know. It just, 
it's always amazing to me to get like a brand new, you know, cell phones are one we go through a lot, and, you know, computers, things like that. And, oh, look, here's the scuff mark already. You know, I'm, I'm already sh it's showing signs of where all things will be new. And that's a beautiful thought that uh, we're going to have that perpetual state of existence. He said to me, right, for these things are true and faithful. Had a conversation with a gentleman on Thursday about the difference between truth and lies. And uh, he's he's like, you know, tr trying to get a little bit of that postmodern angle in there. You know, everything's relative, sort of, you know, well, that's your truth kind of thing. I mean, we've already established in conversation, like, you know, yes, there is an absolute truth. But then, you know, there's also... And so we talked about the fact that, you know, lies are actually fairly easy to identify because they have to constantly change, right? You, you know, lies aren't real, so you have to constantly adjust. If, if you are telling the truth, then you can add greater and greater detail to that so there's better and better understanding, but truth can't ever move. Truth, once established exists it is you know stated if you're relaying truth can't move can't change nothing you can do about it that's why the gospel never changes you know it's an absolute thing god has you know set these things down matthew 24 35 right heaven and earth will disappear but my word will by no means disappear absolute truth contained in God's word, produced by God's word. These words are true and faithful, right? We're not going to get there and be like, well, it's not exactly like I read, <laughs> you know, not does, just doesn't really meet the hype. You know, it, it is going to eclipse whatever thought process we're able to develop in this. It's going to be really amazing to experience. Verse six he said to me, it is done. Oh, that's a familiar statement as far as the Lord goes. And it, it's so concluded to tell Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. Why? Because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He begins things and he ends things. He completes things. He perfects things. They are finished when he says they are finished. You know, we, we do, <laughs> uh, Worked in an industry years ago where that common statement of, well, you can't see it from my house, you know, that's, that's always a bad approach to, you know, construction uh, with things that require amazing amounts of safety, you know, good enough. You know, that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea when it comes to eternity. You know, it, it is finished. It's complete according to this plan. I'm the alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And we've talked a fair amount at different times about this statement from God being uh, something that we don't ever understand because he's, he's in the beginning and he is in the end. All things are the present to him. You know, we are so linear. So, you know, we weren't and then we began. And we're going to continue on this straight line until we end. And everything we experience, every single thing we experience in life is the same way. 
It has the beginning and the present and then an end to it. Not so with the Lord. All things are the present to him. People who are critics look at that and say, well, it's, you know, really quite boring. You know, because everything is just going to be experienced all as one thing and good grief. If this life is interesting to you and you find a great fascination here, understand that this eternal God we just read about is the one who created this. And he chose to exist in that. And he's telling us we're going from here to there. I've got to assume he knows better than I do. I'm a created being. And I'll experience this when I get there. I will give of the fountain of the water of life. Jesus there at the feast as the people were celebrating in the last day. The priests are all going through that ceremony of pouring out those giant silver labors filled with water. And he waits until that culmination and then cries out and the word cries out is that idea of shouting at a volume that is alarming you know, i don't know if you've ever had you know somebody who in a crowd of people just for whatever reason to purposely be socially awkward or whatever just you know yelled something out you're in a theater you know, you're watching a play. This person's supposed to speak, and then that person's going to speak, and then this. And then somebody in the crowd yells or something. You know, it, it will shock. Jesus yells loud for everyone to hear. Anyone who thirsts, let them come unto me. They're pouring water out. You know that's creating thirst to just witness that, right? Didn't think you were thirsty until people started pouring gallons of water out, and now suddenly... You have that sense of, I need to get water. And then Jesus says, are you thirsty? Let him come unto me. I'll give him living water. Here, anyone who wants it, I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. We all thirst. Jesus saying uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, let him who uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. Uh, we have a thirst, whether we know it or not. It's what are you quenching it with, or what are you attempting to quench it with? I just had a conversation with a person this morning who's very concerned, concerned about one of their loved ones who's struggling with addiction, and uh, I made the point to him, I guess no one had ever uh, put it this way to him, that uh, the person who's struggling with addiction, actually all that they're suffering, everything they're going through is actually a worship disorder. Your designed intention is to worship Jesus Christ. And if, if you're not, to whatever degree you're not, then you'll try to you know, either entirely fill that need with you know, drugs or alcohol or money or gambling or food or whatever it is, or, or to whatever degree you're not, you will partially do that. So these things are all worship disorders. Christ can bring full satisfaction. So we're all hungering and thirsting. We're longing for this opportunity to, oh, that's it, right? That's what I've been longing for, what Christ 
has to offer the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I think that's a very, very significant verse. We hear it a few times. It's written in the letters to the seven churches. He who overcomes will be granted access to the things of the Lord here. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. That should make us fighters as Christians. We, we should have a fervent desire to conquer the things of our sinful self, to go after the kingdom, to represent the Lord, to put down that which is enemy of our king. Overcome. Uh, th there is a lazy, lackadaisical, weak attitude in the church of just, well, if it be the Lord's will. <laughs> you may remember your Lord was flipping over money tables at one point. You know, th that he hiked to get alone. Think about that. To get alone in prayer, he just went straight up the mountain. And the crowd faded off. <laughs> They've been after him and after him and after him, right? Why? Free lunch. They like free lunch. You know, five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people. Gee, we should show up tomorrow. And free lunch and free lunch. And Jesus says, you're just here for free lunch. And they say, oh, you know, how could you say such a thing? It's just so condemning. And he said, well, if you're going to stay for lunch today, I'm on the menu. You can eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he does not even try to explain that he's not talking about cannibalism. They, they literally say, that is sick. That's disgusting. You know, the apostles are saying, this is a hard saying. He says, do you guys want to leave too? You can go. And they say, well, where will we go? You have the words of life. And then what does he do? Up the mountain. You want to come be with me? No free lunch. Cannibalism is what's on the menu. And I'm going up this mountain right here. The whole crowd fades off. <laughs> right? Hard things. Hard things. Isn't that, what is that Second Peter? I forget where the verse is. But talking about the trials, it's in Peter 1 or 2. And he's saying, you've got to endure. got to be, hey, look, you got to give me a break, right? Wasn't it Paul that said, didn't one of the prophets say, somewhere and then he misquotes it you know so you know author of one third of the new testament couldn't even remember the address point being i remember the premise right you you can do well to do the same be encouraged right those guys that remember every point and all of the addresses and can quote the scripture you know don't let that intimidate you if you know what the scripture means and intends quote it and say it we have to do hard things. And, and Peter assures us that maturity is the result. Strength is the result. Growth. Overcome. Overcome. You've got you to gotta be willing to fight uh, for this process and for this faith. Uh, you know, I'll spoil it. Drop right down below that. What does it say? But the cowardly, unbelieving, right? They're not going to. You've got to have that bravery. So read it all together. Seven, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God. He shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, 
murderers, sexually immoral. Notice it doesn't just say homosexuals, right? Sexually immoral. That is, that is the broad sweeping brush that says, yes, sexuality was designed by God for very specific parameters. The pleasures of sexuality were designed by God for very specific parameters. Anything outside of that. You know, I, I uh, was saying this years ago when a woman was very upset with me. I, I, I used the term perversion. And I was referring to heterosexuality. And she comes up to me afterwards. She, she's like, you know, basically what she's saying is, you know, that's just normal red-blooded sex you're talking about. But it's not within marriage. I'm talking about fornication. You know, the Lord said one man, one woman for life. That's, that's his intended blessing is, is contained within those restraints. Outside of that, very destructive. Very destructive to the human soul, right? The, the one sin that is against our own body, the scripture says. So here, the sexually immoral. Sorcerers. Pharmakia is the word right there. Drug use. And it is broad in its meaning. Um, I had a you know, very particular problem with marijuana, so I'm really grieved with all of this nonsense in our culture and the legalization and promotion of these things. I'm just talking to a group of guys uh, in ministry this morning about the fact that, you know, people... Here, so, I mean, we know we understand the term anecdotal, right? The common opinion. Everybody says this is true, that's true. No research behind it. Okay? Much of what's being promoted as scientific medical truth is nothing more than anecdotal. Marijuana is not a pain reliever. I, I say that in certain crowds, and people get all like, "What?" You know, like I've, I've said something sacrilegious or even blasphemous. You know, it's a hallucinogen. And it has no sedation properties to the nervous system for pain. Right? Euphoria, sure. A euphoric sense. But as far as shutting off the pain receptors, no effect. And in fact, it diminishes the cognitive capability of dealing with the pain so it makes it worse that that's one of the, the most lengthy medical studies ever conducted right most studies control groups are like 50 or 100 the largest control group study on marijuana began with over 1800 people 1200 people stayed in the three-year study that's huge 1200 people completed the study the three things they were the three things that the three things they were looking for were number 1 how well does it work as a pain reliever number 2 how well does it help the person cope with pain and number 3 how well does it help with opiate addictions okay conclusively it did nothing to help with the pain it made all of the participants struggle with the coping mechanisms 
of dealing with the pain properly, and it dramatically increased the number of opiate users. Dramatically increased the number of opiate users. The exact opposite of everything that we're being told constantly about sorcery. Our culture, every passing day, is more and more fascinated with drugs. The use of drugs, the, the distribution, the legalization. I don't know if you're aware, but there are a lot of lawmakers right now that are talking about we need to just legalize all drugs. All, no, no illegal drugs anymore. It's been the whole effort of law enforcement that's created all of this crime wave and the violence in our streets is all due to trying to resist these drugs. Everybody wants these drugs. Let's just all let them have all the drugs. Yeah, that's going to work out well. You know how I know it's going to end badly? Because we've already tried this as the human race. This isn't a new project. Over and over again, societies have done this. Most recently, right, Amsterdam took the full head-first dive into this program. Let's, let's look at the results within it. We are called to sobriety. Over and over again. Whatever whatever, I hate to use the term, whatever intoxication we need to receive, we will experience in the presence of our Lord and the joy that he bestows upon our hearts. We don't need these other things. You can, you can develop a dependency upon them, and then it feels as though you need it. You know, the worst one of all of them is alcohol. Everybody talks like, oh, heroin. Yeah, people are dropping like flies. Look at the real numbers of what alcohol is doing in our culture. But it's been legal for so time and so long that nobody even asks, right? That's oh, just alcohol, right? Somebody's fully addicted to heroin and they get incarcerated. The jails don't do anything. Just welcome to jail. Cold turkey. That's that. They don't treat them. There's nothing given to them. If they're bashing their head against the concrete wall because they want drugs so bad, they give them Tylenol PM. A little bit of pain reliever, a little bit of sedation, give it to them for about 48 hours, and then that's it. Just quiet them down. That's, that's all they're going to get. Alcohol, on the other hand, totally different subject. Got to put them into a detox center. Got to treat them with medicine. The first 72 hours are very critical. They could have seizures. They could die. Alcohol is so poisonous to the human frame that they have to take great caution in caring for somebody that comes through the door who's addicted to alcohol. It's going to be a minimum of seven days of detox. Could be as much as 10. 10 days of detox before they can you know, have them completely off alcohol bodies being destroyed national institute of health last year finally completed largest study ever conducted on alcohol we've heard for years right now, show of hands how many people have heard red wine is good for the heart right all of us all of us right yeah national institute of health completed the study uh, last year and the medical community is freaking out because they said without question there is no positive effect on the human body from alcohol whatsoever. None. Zero. Zero. Well, I mean a little. No, not, not a little. Zero. It is only toxic, only poisonous to your body. You are much better off without it completely. Oh, I'll get emails now.
for real. Right? Because the common opinion of everybody is good. Sorcery, you guys. Hear what the Lord is saying, right? Cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcery, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. No, thank you. And I don't want any part of that menu. Not, not even remotely. Now, you know, go through, right? I mean, at least we were all liars. Right? Have you ever told any kind of lie? A fib, right? A little white fib, right? I'm sure you have. Everyone does. We are all liars. Right? Go, go through the list, right? And anyone ever steal anything ever anywhere, right? You have, whether you'll admit it or not. Right, Because if you ever sat down for five minutes while you were on the clock, you were getting paid for something you were not doing. You know, we, we take, we are. So the room's full of liars and thieves. Christ, Christ has delivered us from the life that was these things, living this way. And his grace clothes us in his righteousness so that we are delivered from these things completely. It isn't an excuse to do them. Don't misunderstand that, right? Uh, freedom, freedom is not freedom to sin. It's freedom from sin. Christ has delivered us. Verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with seven last plagues came to me and talked with me. Now, before I move on, this is you know showing us that these angels have roles and purposes and serve the Lord in many capacities. You know, this is almost like, hey, I recognize you. <laughs> you were that angel with that bowl. Yes, I was. Is the is the sort of thing that we're getting here. He came to me and talked with me, saying, Come. I'll show you the bride and the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. The light was like the most precious stone, like the jasper stone, clear as crystal. Now, I'm not going to... I The first time I taught through Revelation, I went through all this research about the stones and the coloration and you know, what they might symbolize and all these different things. And over the years, I have read countless commentaries and also science journals regarding gems and precious stones and all these things. And what I've discovered is that many, if not most, if not all of these have different appearances based upon their purity. So you might have the Jasper Stone, most commonly thought of as deep red <laughs> but they can also scale all the way through to very light blue so where are we in this spectrum okay so i'm going to read them and you know yeah right a spectrum of color right precious stones is what we have here this beautifully ornate thing that the lord is presenting to us so carried away, a mount showed the great city descending out of heaven, having glory and the light, the jasper stone clear as crystal. And she had a great and high wall, twelve gates, 
12 angels of the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, three gates on the west. And now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. I'm very confident that one of those names is Paul, not Judas. Paul. Not even Saul, right? The Lord gave him that name of Paul. And he who talked with me had a gold reed of uh, to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square, its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. There's your 1,500 miles, right? 1,500.003, but 1,500 uh, miles. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. They Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. Okay, so I'll let you just sort of sink into how big the city is and angel and golden measuring rod and all of that. And then I'll divert our mind for a moment into an entirely different subject. We hear people get fascinated with specific things toward the end of this. The angel tells John, do not seal up this book. It needs to be open for anyone to absorb this, right? Daniel is told, seal this up until the time of the end, and today we have greater understanding regarding certain aspects of Daniel's prophecy, especially in regard to end times. Revelation, wide open. Oh, well, then you run into the likes of David Koresh, and he's going to tell everybody, you know, that he has specific revelation about the book of Revelation that no one else has had, even though the book itself tells us that it's wide open. The, the title of the book, right? The Revealing so that you might know, you know, opening chapter, blessed is anyone who reads and anyone who hears the prophecy of this book. So it's something for us to understand. I would rewind your mind. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you to Genesis chapter six, controversial set of verses one through four regarding the Nephilim, the giants that are recorded there. I'll explain why in just a moment. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it came to pass. When men began to multiply on the face of the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God, and there's one of the key points of argument, who are the sons of God? That The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Now listen, I know with an absolute certainty that this most probably means angels, the sons of God. But I also know that we have no way of saying that absolutely. Th that angels saw women as attractive and had sexual relations with them. We don't know that. The people that want to jump over to Jesus saying that, you know, 
in the resurrection, human beings will be like the angels and either given or taken in marriage. And then they say, see, angels can't procreate amongst themselves or with human beings. Well, that doesn't say that either. Okay? It just says that in the resurrection, we will not have that level of intimacy. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll just let the cat out of the bag. People want to get caught up with things and extract from the scripture something that isn't there so that they can stand up and say, see, I'm the guy who knows something no one else knows. It's rooted in pride. You know how I know? Because I want to do that same thing. And I think it's a very sinful thing. Uh, it can be incredibly corrupt to the point where you become a false teacher. It can be just mildly corrupt where you're just showing the world how full of yourself you are. Okay? I'll read a little more and we'll examine this. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful. They took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Notice how there's no connective property to those two things. In the English language or the Greek language, whoever the sons of God were, procreating with the daughters of men, there is no connective property in the Hebrew language or the English language that makes, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with men forever. These are separate subjects. They're right next to one another, but they are separate subjects. He sets this limit on their age. That's what he's doing there. Now look at verse 4. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards. Okay. Once again, no connective property. We don't have anything there that tells us that the giants were a result of the sons of God procreating with human beings and resultingly God says, now I'm going to have to limit ages and there are giants on the earth. I want you to notice something. And it says, and there were giants on the earth afterwards. Because a lot of these teachers say, sons of God procreate ultra-violent giants. God has to wipe them out, hence the flood. Guess what? There are giants on the earth after the flood. Brothers and sisters, I submit to you that that means that genetic had to have come through the eight people on the ark. Okay? So, move through this with me. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown you want to go through the great lengths of piecing that all together and say no this is all one consistent thing look fine fine that's okay i'm not i'm not saying you're a false teacher i'm not saying you know i'm absolutely right what i'm saying is there's no way to definitively say any of those things from that passage what i will tell you is we Diverted here from Revelation chapter 21, verse 17. That tells us he measured 
the walls of heaven, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. The cubit of a man is the same as the cubit of an angel. Angels are not giants. Sons of God procreating with human beings would produce human being-like beings. <laughs> it gets really weird when people start trying to extract and insert and change. We are warned in this book, to, in this very book, Revelation, do not add to this book. Because the plagues contained in this book will be added to you. Do not take away from this book. Because, right, your name will be taken away from the book of life. I have to just leave, and it's a struggle, right? Because we want to be the person who finds something out and then shares with everybody else. And everybody goes, wow, that guy's, that gal is really smart. My goodness, how spiritual, right? In the end, this passage tells us specifically that men and angels are very similar in their, their design and their size. So why add anything to it? Or not? So I told you it was a big diversion and a rabbit's trail. Back to Revelation chapter 21, verse 18. The constructions of its walls was of jasper. The city was of pure gold, like clear glass. Do you see what I mean about like, None of us has ever seen gold so pure that it was semi-transparent or transparent. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. Now, how about this? Bronze Age, Iron Age, all these different ages. <clears throat> there are a group of people that are now saying that, you know, whatever you thought, technological age, different things, they say that we're probably living in the glass age right now. There was a time in history where glass was not used hardly ever at all. And now glass is in everything. It's everywhere. And in particular, there is a new glass that has been developed called Gorilla Glass. And it has metal as part of its molecular structure. Windshields, Mark, auto body guy, weighing one-third their normal weight, that are 10, 20, 30 times stronger than the glass we have today. Impenetrable by stones or even low-velocity bullets. Really quite remarkable. You know, transparent metal. God is so far beyond us. <laughs> glass so pure you can see through it. Or you know, gold so pure you can see through it, rather interesting the things you know people look at it and say well that's just sort of metaphorical no we're we're in a world that's experiencing some things and technological advances that when you read something like that you go wow that's really quite remarkable you know gold so pure that it is transparent it's really a kind of a may amazing thing the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones the first foundation was Jasper, the second Sapphire, the third uh, Chalidoni or Caledoni, depending on you pronounce that properly, the fourth Emerald, the fifth Sardonyx, the fifth Sardis, the seventh Chrysolite, the eighth Biral, the ninth Topaz, the, the tenth 
Chrysophras or Chrysopras, the 11th Jesenath, the 12th Amethyst. Twelve gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. Let me just uh, maybe make you think a little differently about that. Um, you know, we see the iron bar type gate depicted so often and, you know, pearly in design and cut and you what if it's one giant spherical pearl set on hinge in round portal you know i'm not saying that's the way it is what i'm saying is we're going to get there and have our minds blow that however this is designed it's going to be beyond what we've experienced here on earth uh, the 12 gates uh, were uh, individual pearl. The street of the city were pure gold, like transparent glass. There it is again. Uh, this idea of purity beyond our experience or understanding. So, um, was that 21? 21, I did not. Yes. It's pure, like transparent. But I saw no temple in it. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. The kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it, but there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I'm going to run right into uh, verse 1 of chapter 22. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Pure water like that is really an amazing thing. You know, I've had a, a few occasions, um, worked uh, some years ago on Mountainy Pond, and um, nothing, it's a private lake, and uh, they've kept it private, and they all of the property that surrounds it uh, there's no access in or out uh, to the public, by the public. There is one boat on the lake, one boat, and it is the caretaker. And it only goes on the lake as the people request it. They don't even have paint on the boat. It's aluminum, so that nothing ends up in the water. And at depth, in the midst of that lake, you can look down and see all the way to the bottom. It's just amazing. You know, Literally, uh, first morning I was out there, Gentleman driving the boat just reaches down with the coffee. The percolator fills it up out of the thing and sets up. And the boat starts brewing coffee right out of the lake. It's astonishing. Spring-fed, crystal clear water. I'm sure that is not as pure as what this is. Uh, it'll be amazing to see this new creation. Clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Think about the prophecy predicting the throne of God in Jerusalem and how that water is going to flow from under his throne and even heal, as it says, 
the waters of the Dead Sea. Uh, remarkable. This, this, you know, beyond that, you know, new creation here. So uh, it uh, proceeds from the throne of God of the Lamb in the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. So um, an interesting concept um, depicted in art many different ways. One big tree, you know, root system spanning over, uh, or is it that the tree, singular, right, all white pine trees are white pine tree. And you could say now of that tree, meaning all white pines, right? So it may be that this tree are many trees, but it's all of one species, which is the tree of life. And that it is surrounding in this uh, way that it's described here, brings forth, bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month um, seems to indicate and some people think contrary this seems to indicate that the 12 fruits are just continuously in season um, seems to be that uh, you know it bears obviously different fruits plural uh, but is that all at the same time or is it as you go through uh, the months that this month is you know, apples and next month is oranges and the following month is pears or, you know, I'm just illustrating, but interesting thought. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations. Uh, the, uh, you know, again, obsession with drugs in our culture. And I hate to mention marijuana again, but literally had an argument with a guy. He had the argument with me. Uh, you know, saying this is clearly, you know, marijuana. And I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me, man. I mean, you know, it, it, that stuff produces death. It's, you know, horrible for the human body. That's not what's being, you know, it's for the healing of the nations. You know, and I'm trying to say, poor simple mind, clearly it can't be that because it needs to heal. Uh, this, this whole, even in Christianity, this fascination with CBD oil. Here I go again on another marijuana rabbit trail. But let me do this for a second because it's profoundly affecting Christianity. And CBD oil production is completely unregulated in the United States right now. Completely unregulated. Why? Because it's supposed to be derived from hemp plants, which have no psychotropic quality, no tetrahydrocycline, right? No THC on board. But, but the government in its infinite wisdom told marijuana producers that if they've depleted the plant of its THC, then they can produce hemp oil from the remaining stock. So they were given permission. So they go ahead and produce it. And what we found is through random sampling is there are some uh, CBD oils that have THC content as high as 15%. Just so we're clear, the hippies of the fifth or the sixties that were getting really, really high were getting high on marijuana that was five to seven percent THC. You getting CBD oil? Well, it's from a reputable source. You don't know that. You don't know what's there at all, right? You know, you know what will make you healthy every single time 
it only, right, it only works 100% of the time, is a balanced diet and exercise. Astonishing, isn't it? It's just amazing how hidden that secret is. Uh, this fascination, obsession with drugs that our culture is involved in, healing of the nations, we have no idea what that means as far as the practicality of this. You know, it, 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 our, our world around us is just, it's astonishing how absurd we are as a race of people at times. I, I was sitting at a bank in Blue Hill. There were four teenagers sitting on the ground, talking, enjoying the afternoon. One of them strips leaves off from the birch tree that's standing there. Just to be silly, shoves them in his mouth and starts chewing. Right? Moments later, another one of them does this, puts them in their mouth. He's now spitting his out, right? I mean, I've never eaten birch leaves, but they probably taste really terrible. Right? And the conversation has begun of, these aren't that bad. We could probably eat these. And before it's done, I, my window's down and I'm listening to them. I'm astonished as they've convinced one another, yes, we can eat the leaves of trees. We should just, why do we even, this whole, they turn this into, this whole grocery store thing is nothing but a scam. Look around us. Look at all these trees. We can eat of all these trees. We should go, we should start, we, let's start a trend. And I lean out the window and said, guys, I don't mean to be the old fuddy-duddy who is embarrassing you at all, but understand that your digestive system is not designed to consume the leaves of trees. And in fact, they are mostly all of them toxic to you. Please do not begin. And they're like, what? You know, you know, if, if they were just left to go experiment, they would have quickly learned that. They would have been had terrible bowel movements, and all kinds of horrendous things occurring to them through the experimentation of this. But, but my point is, this is how inept our culture is. Somebody thinks something, talks to somebody else, they convince one another, it's a great idea, and off we go. The Lord has something here in future creation that is going to be amazing and it's going to be wonderful and it's going to be freeing, right? Think, think about what is involved. Healing the nations? You're going to have to heal the heart, right? Because nations hate other nations. Racism and prejudice and disease, and all that this implies. This is going to heal the nations. To which I say, this must be a supernatural dream. Clearly, right? Isn't this what we've heard, right? It's going to it's going to give eternal life to Adam and Eve. God has to remove it from the garden and then bar them from having presence to it. Why? Because they're sinners who would potentially have eternal life. What a horrible, horrible thing. 
entropy and deterioration and pain and disease and suffering, you know, continuing to grow and consume them as they continued to live forever. What a terrible thought. Living forever in deterioration. Not so with this. This is a beautiful thing that is not earthly. It is something God has in store. There shall be no more curse. Wow. Right? What is the curse? Death. Right? You know, pain in childbirth. Right? Men dominating women. Uh, gaining everything you need through hard labor. Sweat. Sweat of your brow. Curse is gone. Death. Gone. Beautiful. My goodness, what an amazing statement. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, right? He marks his people first, and then Satan imitates, wasn't that chapter 13, and gives them the mark of the beast. God begins that process. There shall be no more night there. They, they need no lamp nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. A beautiful, beautiful picture. Then he said to me, the words are faithful and true. We hear it again. The Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the thing which must shortly take place. Now, again, you have Jesus' word on it there in my Bible, written in red, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Coming quickly? It's been 2,000 years almost. Coming abruptly is what it might more accurately read. You know, be ready is the idea, because when I appear... It's not going to be a slow emergence. It will be abruptly, suddenly. Have yourself in a prepared state. Now I, John, verse 8, saw and heard these things. When I heard and saw, I fell down and worshipped before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and your bread servant of your, yours and of your brethren, the prophet, uh, prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. I'm a servant. I'm a minister of the body of Christ, the prophets, those who keep the words of this book. So Charles Taze Russell, founder of the Jehovah's Witnesses, wrong, right? Because, uh, Jesus allows worship, encourages worship of himself. The angels do not. Charles Taze Russell said Jesus was Michael the archangel. So, incorrect. The scripture has corrected him. The Mormons, Joseph Smith, right, say that Jesus is half-brother to Lucifer. Or not even half brother. He is the brother of Lucifer. Uh, so, so Lucifer, we know from Scripture, is an angel. So that would make Jesus an angel. So, again, wrong. Why? Jesus accepts and allows worship. He is encouraging it continuously. Here, this angel worship God. 
He said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of the book. There it is. It's not sealed. It's not hidden. Anyone can know these things. You can search. You can compare the rest of the scripture. You can find everything that needs to be opened in the book of Revelation in the rest of the Bible. There's nothing within the book of Revelation that you can't cipher out by reading the rest of the scripture. You don't need other books, other revelation, other spirits to show you or teach you anything. You know, what you might wonder or stumble over, you know, mostly Daniel, Ezekiel, and Isaiah will expose to you, but all of the prophets do have some comment upon the book of Revelation, revealing, knowing, capable of knowing. Don't seal it up. The words or the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. It is present. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Uh, the individuals that want to say, I wish I could change, you know, make the change, be holy. Just have to continue with it. You have to stay in it. You don't want to change, don't want to move. It's interesting how some people blame their lack of motivation on God. I would love to if God would only, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. God has provided all we need, right? We rely upon his Holy Spirit. Verse 12, behold, here it is again. I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And the Alpha the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Again, that eternal aspect of God. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs. And here it is again, sorcerers. Same word, pharmakia, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and those Whoever love and practice a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus challenged the religious leadership of Israel with that statement. Whose son is the Messiah? He is the son of David, they said. And how is it that David said to my Lord, you know, my Lord, your throne forever. Uh, he is both the root and the offspring. He's the source and the origin of David while he is an offspring of David. Make no mistake, this eternal God is the beginning and the end of even such as David. The spirit and the bride say, right? The Holy Spirit and his church. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. So, you know, I don't know if I'm part of the church. Did you just hear this? Okay, then it's your responsibility to invite people to this. Best way to do that, become part of the church. Surrender yourself to the Lord. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Boy, he just breaks down everything, doesn't he? You know, he's got these different classifications of who's in and who's out and who's a fornicator and who's not and who's. But in the end, look, anybody, anybody, you know, let anyone who desires come. Do you want it right? Well, what did John 3.16 tell us? 
whosoever. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter. I'm a Calvinist. I don't. Th I don't think God has chosen me. I don't think I'm part of the elect. Whosoever, whoever. Do you desire it? Then come. Come. The Lord has ripped the doors off the hinges. Right. The gates of heaven. That's so interesting. Right. <clears throat> it's weird how poetic and humoristic God is. Right. Yeah. You know, the gates of heaven are open as long as it is day, and there's no night there. <laughs> you know, so there's never a sorry closing time. If you could gather your final purchases, and you no, know, the doors are always open, always in time, always to persons, whosoever you desire it, come. Eighteen. For I testify to everyone who hears. The words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life. For, excuse me, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So he gets you coming and going. Right, because they say, well, I mean, is it just this prophecy that we can't alter, or is it the Bible as a whole that we have to be careful of and not alter? So the book of this prophecy would be the Bible, right? And then the words of this prophecy in this book would be the prophecy. So it's the book and it's the prophecy. Don't mess with any of it. I just uh, had um, one of the brothers call me and say, hey, have you ever heard this thing about uh, John the Baptist's mother uh, being protected by God hidden in this cave from the Roman soldiers that were going to kill? I said, man, I've never heard that at all. And uh, so uh, we do a little research and discover that it's in what we uh, call the apocryphal books. And I've, I haven't studied them as in-depth as I have the scripture, so uh, that never stuck in my mind as I read it. And so I quickly go right through the book and, you know, go through the whole thing. And, and you discover that in that book, it, it falsely claims that Zechariah, Elizabeth's uh, husband, was the high priest, right? He was never the high priest. He, he was a priest, and he served, and he was burning incense, Right before the Lord, but he wasn't the high priest. He was never the high priest. So, so automatically you can say, okay, that book is incorrect. Whatever details are in there, I don't need uh, to listen to that book anymore. And yet people will stand around and go, oh, well, you know, the, the hidden gospels, you know, the gospel of Judas and the gospel. There's a reason these 66 books are gathered together. And it isn't because they took a vote on it, right? I'll clarify that again. The term canon means the read or the read or, or the books which are read. The church had already sorted through all of the ancient writings and said these 66 are what we need to learn from. Jesus taught from all of these Old Testament uh, books that are referenced and here in the New Testament, none of the things stated in here contradict the old, so we'll compile these together and this is your complete Bible. We've, we have found in archaeology, 
many copies of all 66 of these books bound together. First century church was already stitching these 66 books together and saying, these are the 66 you need to study. You don't need you know, all these. I mean, imagine how far that goes. Right? The gospel of Judas was discovered in Nag Hammadi, Egypt. It had been written by the Gnostics, who are not even Christians, 350 years after Jesus' life. We don't need to listen to that. You know, separate continent, 350 years later, by non-Christians. I'm not stable in that to my Bible. We have what we need in this. Don't alter it. Don't add to. Don't take away from this book. He who testifies of these things says, and here it is in red letters, right? Surely I am coming quickly. So make no mistake. Amen. Even so, right? So be it. Even so, Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, right? Come quickly, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.